Good morning. My name is Colton. If you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, we'll read our passage together. It can be found on page 918 of your pew Bible, and it'll be on the screen as well. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints to the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word. Good morning. My name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors here at Community. Uh, We're a little more than halfway through a 12-part series, I Will Build My Church, uh, God's Antidote for an Anxious and Apathetic Age. We've heard from Ben, David, Noah, Benjamin, about how God's church provides God's solution for disillusionment, lack of purpose, lack of guidance, isolation and vulnerability in a broken world full of broken people. Today we'll be looking at how God's church, by God's grace, is an integral part of God's plan for our growth. For some of us that might be obvious, but for many of us it is not. I was recently part of a Community 101 class here at the church. Uh, Our Connections pastor, David McHale, does a really good job leading a group of people through a better understanding of what it means to be a local church. It's helpful if you're new to the church, and even if you've been part of the church for 20 years, you can benefit by participating. This class runs for several weeks, a few times a year, And the final class in the series is a panel of the elder team, the pastor elders. This allows people to get to know the church leadership some, and there's a time of question and answers. So in this last class, Pastor Benjamin tells a story about a former co-worker that he would talk to about Jesus. This person was not a Christian, but was interested in knowing what Benjamin believed. 
At some point, he asked Benjamin to make a list of all the things he believed were important to believe if one was to be a Christian. Benjamin then asked those of us in the Community 101 class to get into small groups of four or so and discuss what would we put on a list like that. And I'll ask you now to think about it. If you were to make a list of the important things to tell someone, these are the things a Christian needs to believe, what would you put on that list? Just think about it for a couple seconds. The deity of Jesus, the virgin birth, the resurrection, the Bible. We took about 10 minutes in the class and all the things I just mentioned and some more were on those lists as we shared. But there was one thing sadly missing from all those lists, the church. Was it on the list you made in your head? Did you make a list in your head? <laughs> I told you to make a list. <clears throat> it's clear in God's word that his church is highly valuable to him. And therefore, it should be highly valuable to us. We'll see in today's passage how the church is a vital part of becoming a mature follower of Jesus. And it is Jesus who builds his church. We'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16, the verses that Colton read for us. Again, it's on page 918 in your pew Bible, if that's what you're using. Um, the first thing I'll say about this passage is that there's a whole lot in these 16 verses. I'm only going to preach for about two or three hours right now. Okay, you guys are listening. <laughs> But if I wanted to, I could, I could go for several days and not exhaust what's here. Seriously, I have about a half an hour or so, so I'm not going to try and cover everything in each verse this morning. There's a lot of pastors that break these 16 verses up into four or five sermons. I'd like to just do three things in the time that I have. Show why the word therefore is really important in this text and should not be glossed over. Show why what comes before the word therefore is important and why what comes after the word therefore is important. It's important to appreciate that this book of the Bible titled Ephesians is a letter. We don't write a lot of letters these days. I don't think most of us. We email, we text. I was joking the other day with a friend that in the near future we'll communicate exclusively with emojis thumbs down, frowny face. So this is a letter written by a real church leader to a real church in a real place. This one written by the Apostle Paul from prison to the church in Ephesus. And he follows a pattern that's common in Paul's letters to the churches. He first explains how something is true, why it's good news that it's true, and then or therefore, what the reasonable response should be. In the language of emoji, this letter would maybe look like a cloud, a cross, an empty tomb, and a bunch of big hearts. A cloud representing the place Jesus came from. A cross showing why he came. An empty tomb showing what he accomplished for us. And a bunch of big hearts showing what he accomplished in us. 
One of my favorite songs, Lord, I Lift Your Name on High, has a chorus that repeats, you came from heaven to earth to show the way, from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. A cloud, a cross, an empty tomb, and a bunch of big hearts lifting up the name of Jesus. Circling back to why the word therefore is important in this text, I put that word in between the empty tomb and all the big hearts. A cloud, a cross, an empty tomb, and therefore a bunch of big hearts. So we just looked at why the word therefore is important to this text and shouldn't be glossed over. It serves as a hinge or transition from one thing to another. Let's look at what's being tied together by this word therefore. Mainly, it's the first part of Paul's letter to the second part. It's the people that translated the letter for our benefit, divided it into six chapters. It makes it easier to study, easier to reference. But again, remember, this is a letter. This is a letter that someone just wrote to the church. And so this word, therefore, transitions the first half of the letter to the second half. I'm not going to do an in-depth study of all six chapters, but I do believe it's important to be aware of what's written before the word therefore. If you want to follow along in your Bible, that'll probably be helpful. If you're looking in the Pew Bible, again, Ephesians starts on 917. Um, In chapter 1, Paul identifies himself and greets the people he's addressing in the letter. It's written to the followers of Jesus in Ephesus. This is the cloud emoji part of the letter. He's explaining to the church that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heaven. That we were chosen before the foundation of the world. Before God said, let there be light, he chose those of us who would follow him. It says he predestined us for adoption. God did this. And he did it before he created the world. He goes on in verse 7 to proclaim that this redemption has occurred through the blood of Jesus. This is the cross emoji and the empty tomb. In verses 13 and 14, we're told that we've been given the Holy Spirit. This is the big hearts emoji. A cloud, a cross, an empty tomb, and a bunch of big hearts. We see in these verses our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit doing what Jesus told us he would do in Matthew. Speaking to Peter, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Paul then goes on for the rest of chapter one to let the believers know that he's writing to, let them know that he's praying for them to grow in knowing Jesus more fully, reminding them that Jesus is the name above every name and that all of creation is under his authority. That is why Jesus can say with authority that he will build his church and not even hell can do anything about it. This truth should fill our hearts to overflowing. The truth that the building of the church does not rest on our shoulders. When we talk about God's antidote for an anxious and apathetic age, it doesn't get any better than this. An antidote is something that counteracts a poison, a poison we've swallowed or had injected into us So what is it that causes us to become anxious? 
What causes us to become apathetic? What is it that we've swallowed? One of the most common causes of both of these ailments, anxiety and apathy, is the belief that we're required to do something that we're not able to do. Like in the book of Exodus, where the Israelites are told by Pharaoh to make bricks without straw. Straw was added to the mixture to make the bricks stronger and lighter. And originally, the Egyptians had supplied the straw to the Israelite slaves. When the Egyptians became worried that the Israelites were becoming too numerous and their request to worship God was only a result of laziness, Pharaoh told the taskmasters to stop supplying, with the, <clears throat> sorry, stop supplying the slaves with the straw they needed to make the bricks and gather it themselves, but to continue to require them to make the same number of bricks each day as when they didn't have to gather the straw themselves. Most of us have experienced the anxiety that comes with believing we are being asked to do something that we don't have the resources to do. Can I get a quick show of hands for, have you ever been at a job where you're being asked to work 60 hours a week in 40 hours? None of you? Some of you. Almost all of you. It makes you anxious. We tend to respond first with anxiety when we try to do what's being asked of us with everything we have, but that quickly turns to apathy when we've exhausted our efforts and are just too burnt out to keep trying. Apathy being that point where you say, I just don't care anymore. Oftentimes, people mistakenly see the church and maturing in the Christian life this way. God is telling me to do things I don't have the resources to do. Love my enemies. Forgive those that treat me poorly. Be unified with people in the church that I just don't like being around. Be patient. Be gentle. Be humble. Grow up. What we might hear in that is make bricks without straw. And then there's the world's version of what being a grown-up looks like, and it's very different from God's. The world replaces Christian maturity with worldly adulthood. What comes to mind when I say adult in that context? Adult language, adult movie. Consumption of these things from a godless perspective is assumed to be a part of being grown-up. The life that Paul is urging us to walk out, humble, gentle, patient, peaceful. More and more, it seems the world looks at those qualities as naive and childish. Grown-ups should be proud, rough, aggressive, ready to fight. And yet living this way is exhausting. But even though it's exhausting, it doesn't require God's help. What God calls us to does require his help. The fruits of the Spirit require the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Trying to conjure these qualities apart from God is like trying to make bricks without straw. The call to do this is not the voice of our Savior. Instead, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Does that sound like make bricks without straw? In chapters 2 and 3 here in Ephesians, Paul goes on to make this even clearer. Chapter 2, he reminds us that we were dead in our sin. He tells us that we have been saved by God's unearned favor, not by any work that we have done so that we have nothing to brag about. The bricks God calls us to make, he gives everything needed to make them. The materials, the knowledge, the strength, everything. When you listened to Ben's sermon last week on deaconing or ministering in God's church, this was not a call to make bricks without straw, but rather an invitation to experience the truth that Paul's talking about here. Come and see the grace of God in action as you do what he calls you to do, and you begin to realize he's given you all you need to do it. Our God is nothing like Pharaoh. And as we look at what it means to be a member of the church that God is building, all that he has called us to be as members, it's important to keep that in mind. As Paul talks about how we have been brought into God's family, his church, he's not talking about a position we earn, but rather something that Jesus has purchased for us with his own blood. He finishes chapter 3 praying for us that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There's so much more in these first three chapters to be excited and grateful about, but I only have so much time this morning. I'd encourage you to read this entire letter and let it sink in that God's love for us in Christ is beyond our comprehension. We'll spend all of eternity trying, trying to comprehend it and know that we will never be done. Finally, we come to the therefore in chapter 4. So I've talked about why this word therefore is important. It connects the first half of the letter to the second half. Explaining the second half is not only difficult without the first half, but it's impossible. The first part of what's true in this letter, the good news about what God has done for us and in us through faith in Jesus what we are called to in the second half, we can't do without the first. We must be filled with what God has done for us in Christ before we can be what God has called us to be in Christ. As chapter 4 begins, the emphasis of this letter changes, changes from the truths of the gospel, the good news that God has called a people for himself, a people that will be a new kind of people, and he has graciously done for them everything necessary to be a part of this new family. The price of our redemption, our adoption, paid in full by the blood of Jesus. The emphasis moves toward what the consequences of these truths should be. Since these things are true, the outcome ought to be these things. He urges us to, in verse 1, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Back to the emoji analogy. In light of the cloud, the cross, and the empty tomb, your heart should swell with humility, gentleness, patience, and a willingness to bear with one another the way that God has borne with you. Through verse 13, he paints a picture of a victorious Jesus 
who has left the cloud, the splendor of heaven, gone to the cross and defeated death, leaving the tomb where he was laid empty. And he is now gifting his people with all that they need to have life in him to the full. As we read of these gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, they are all given with a purpose, to equip us for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. With a goal of a mature people that reflect Jesus well to a world that so desperately needs him. Paul tells us in Romans 8 that all of creation is waiting eagerly for God's church to be revealed. Paul contrasts this mature church with an immature church that resembles children who are misdirected by whatever new lie comes down the pike. And he encourages us to rather speak the truth and love to one another. This is God's antidote. I'm going to finish up talking about those last two verses of chapter 4. What does it look like to speak the truth in love? It looks like the first three chapters of the letter, reminding one another the great truth of the gospel. God loves us and has provided us with everything we need to be what he has called us to be and to do. And working together properly causes us to grow up in love so that we don't just say harsh truth to one another, but we do it with gentleness and respect so that it might actually be received. I don't think this happens in casual relationships. I think we have to be close to each other, committed to each other. The Bible tells us in Proverbs, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. I cooked professionally for a few years when I was in my 20s. And while I cooked, I learned how to sharpen knives. You can use a stone to sharpen knives by taking the knife across the stone over and over again. You can use a honing rod, the steel rods that come with knife sets that most of us look at and go, I don't know what to do with this thing. <clears throat> that simply tunes up an already sharp knife by straightening the blade out. But the point is, you can't sharpen a knife by simply setting it in the same room with the sharpening stone. They have to actually come together intimately over and over and over again. And the person handling them has to know what they're doing. Otherwise, they'll damage the knife or damage the stone or both. This passage is telling us that the one handling the knife and the stone, the one who's bringing us together, knows what he's doing. It's God himself. I don't have to trust each one of you being perfect to know that God's plan will be fulfilled. I trust the one who's putting us together in relationship. I'm going to make a short plug here for church membership on that note. There's something about formally committing to a local church that helps this happen. Saying, these are the people that I'll grow with. These are the leaders I'll grow with. I've heard some people say there's nothing in the Bible about formal church membership. There's nothing in the Bible about eating dinner. Uh, it's still a good idea. And I would say part of the reason we don't see the necessity for l local church membership in the Bible 
The church at Ephesus, the church at Corinth, uh, it was the church. There weren't 50 churches in a two-mile radius. Um, If you want to be known and to know the people you're serving God with, it really helps to commit to a local body. I'd say if you're not a member and you think of this as your church, I'd really encourage you to pray about joining and, and making your commitment to this body more formal. I'm going to wrap up here. Um, let me just say, too often we see Christian growth as something to be accomplished in our own strength by ourselves. Paul tells us in this letter written to the Ephesians that the growth we are called to is to happen through faith in God's power, and it's to happen together in his church. It reminds us that the Christian life is not one of white-knuckle striving to be good in our own strength, competing with our brothers and sisters for God's approval, but rather a life of cooperation with one another, with a loving desire to see each other come to know Jesus in a deeper, fuller way. Understanding that this is what not only causes us to grow, but also shows the world that Jesus is real and that he's alive. Our Lord says this, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What would it look like, the church being the church, walking in a manner worthy of our calling? a group of people receiving God's divine grace, his resurrection power, his heavenly love, and then showing it to each other and to a world that desperately needs it. A cloud, a cross, an empty tomb, and therefore a bunch of big hearts, glorious and glorifying our Lord. Will you pray with me? Father God, we we thank you for your word. Lord, it is uh, full of good news about who you are, about how much you love us, Lord, and how we can trust uh, your ability to conform us to the likeness of your Son, to grow us up into the head who is Christ. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, as we gather next week to to celebrate baptism, uh, Father God, I, I pray that the truth of of what it is you've done for us in the person of Jesus Christ, the truth of what you continue to do for us in the person of Jesus Christ, and the the truth of what you promise to do for us in the future through Jesus Christ, Lord, would fill our hearts, spill out to one another, spill out to the world around us, and that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.